Welcome to episode number 19 of the Brave Widow Show. Today I talk with Shayna James, who really is a woman after my own heart. She loves leadership, she loves serving others, and she's a real go-getter. I think you are absolutely going to love Shayna's story and some of the bits of wisdom that she has to share with us today. So let me introduce her. Shayna James is extremely transparent and authentic. She has overcome tragic loss and uses that time of her life to help others who are going through difficult times to discover God's unique purpose and divine destiny as disciples of Jesus Christ. She was a widow and single mom of two boys for 13 years and recently was blessed to find love again. She is now married to Anthony James, and they are a blended family with six children. Shana is a certified coach, speaker, and trainer with John Maxwell team and the owner of Top Dot's digital marketing agency. You can find Shana at all of her links, which we'll include in the show notes, as well as at shanajamesconsulting.com. All right, let's dive in. I can't wait for you to hear her story. Welcome to the Brave Widow podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Brave Widow Show. Shayna, I am so glad that you've joined me here today. Excited. So thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Emily, so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, for our listeners and our viewers, I think Shana and I, we connected several weeks ago and nerded out, I'm pretty sure about John Maxwell and <laughs> his material. So if you're also a fellow John Maxwell fan, you can nerd out with us as well at some point. But Shana, people are not here for that. Why don't you share a little bit about your background and what you do, and then we can dive into your story. Yeah, so actually, I have a very diverse background. I consider myself to be a little bit rare. Um, I have a degree in electrical engineering. I have a master's in business and a master's of divinity. I pastor a church in San Jose, California, and then I also do executive coaching, speaking, and training for leaders and corporations, public and private entities all over the world. And you look fantastic as you're doing that too. <laughs> so. well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I remember when I was speaking with you, just how impressed I was at how much you've accomplished. And I think about especially a lot of the younger or newer widows that I get to speak with. And they're really those first few months and year, you're kind of in a haze, like, how am I going to survive this? How can I ever laugh again? How can I be excited about the future? And so I'm really encouraged to be able to allow you to share your story so that people can see how that transformation is possible and maybe for them even to be able to work with you or learn more from you about what that looked like. So why don't you tell us a little bit about if you want to start even at the beginning with how you met your spouse or what your relationship was like, I think people would love to know. Yeah. So my my husband, Jeff, was my best friend. We started off, I met him when I was 21 years old and he was my Bible study teacher. 
and we connected immediately. We started doing work in the community. We were friends for five years, never dated. And then one day he got down on one knee in front of a room full of girls that I was leading in a workshop. It was 60 girls. He gets down on one knee. They're all yelling and screaming. And I can't hear him. I just see the ring and I'm like, whatever it is, yes. So we basically had a community style relationship, which means everybody in the circle that we were serving, a lot of high school, college age students were just like a part of the process. They were bridesmaids, groomsmen. And then we were married and had married six months later, two years later, had our first son. And then two and a half years later, had our second. So, I mean, life was just amazing. I mean, it was everything that I hoped it would be. He was pastoring the church. We were running a nonprofit in the community. My favorite thing at the time, basketball. So I was coaching basketball. We were running a basketball league. We were helping kids get off the street who were in gangs and helping them just come to know Jesus and transform their lives. So it was really an amazing experience. Really, really. Oh, that is so incredible. So on the nonprofit work, you worked with some of the youth that was there in the city. Well, I mean, we worked with high school and college age students. Many of them were kind of not doing anything with their lives, but they just loved basketball. So they would come hang out with us. And then we would do a, in order to play, it wasn't a fee. You had to attend a workshop. And there we taught life skills. We were able to help them to come to know Jesus in some cases. And then from that is how we started our church. We found a lot of those kids were giving their life to Christ, but they didn't know where to go. They were like, we don't feel comfortable. So we had a church where you could show up in your flip-flops, your sweatpants, your pajamas, if you wanted to, and learn about Jesus. And that was the founding of our church, which it'll be 23 years old this year, actually. Oh, that is so amazing. And that's one of the things that I think is almost rare now is to find churches that are really active out in the community that are really reaching out to people and making them feel comfortable to be there. Like churches are generally filled with broken people. And sometimes we think perfect people are in church, but a lot of the times it's because we know that we need help. So it's great to see that you guys were so active in the community that you were able to build your own church together. How long were you married before you ended up losing him? So we were married for seven years. It was about a month shy of our eight year anniversary. And what happened was it was, it was a normal Sunday morning. I wake up and I hear the sounds of giggling and laughter in my bed. My two-year-old at the time was just laughing. And I heard his daddy say, Gobi, give me some sugar. And so he was laughing and they rubbed noses together like Eskimo kisses. And my younger son was like, schemos, daddies, more schemos, meaning more Eskimo kisses. And so I was just in the bed saying to myself, this is, I'm the most blessed woman in the world. I mean, really to have a great husband, to have two amazing children. And my husband said, Hey, you know what? Get some rest. I'm going to go ahead and get the kids together, take them to church. And so he took them to church that morning. And when we got to church, my husband preached this fiery message. It was like, get up and get in the game and serve. And he was like, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. Somebody's going to hear about Jesus today. And I was like, come on through, baby boy. He's like preaching. And after he came out of the pulpit, he came to me and he said, you know what? I kind of feel like I have to throw up. And I was like, well, go ahead, take care of yourself. I'm going to come back and check in on you in a little bit. And about 15 minutes later, I went in and I found my husband completely just unconscious on the ground. And I was like, what is happening? And so we quickly called 911. They came 
and they rushed him to the hospital. And when I get to the hospital, the doctor comes out and he says, Mrs. Hurd, I'm sorry to tell you, but your husband has passed away. And I'm like, what just happened? It was literally less than an hour from the time he preached that sermon that the doctor said that to me. And I was like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I did get on my knees in that moment because I had lost my mom and my dad at that point, And I had been angry in the past so much. But in that moment, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I still love you. Lord, I still trust you. And Lord, I'll still serve you. Mm-hmm. But it took me a while. It took me a while because I had been to grave sites and that was just hard for me. It took me a while to kind of go to the grave where he was buried. And during that time, it was about six months. During that time, I felt like I was walking in a haze. I had, I felt like all my hopes, all my dreams, everything that I'd ever wanted in life was gone. Like it was shattered. And the Lord kind of pushed me and said, go visit him at the gravesite. And I was like, this is not, I mean, some people are good with that. It was not my thing. And I went and I started looking around at all of the the headstones. And I remembered a quote from Miles Monroe, which says, One of the wealthiest places in all of the earth is not diamond mines, oil fields, or banks. It's the cemetery. Because he said in the cemetery lie dreams that were never realized, books never written, songs never written, businesses that never got started. And I looked and saw my husband's headstone and said to myself, wait a minute, even though we got the double headstone, there was a space for me. I was like, I ain't in that thing yet. And it kind of kicked this thing into me where like, I can dream again. Like, it's okay. Maybe my dream got shattered. Maybe the way I thought my life was going to be completely got flipped upside down, but I'm going to dream again. So I decided to just say, well, what is the dreams that lie in my heart for me and for my children? And because of that, I started pastoring the church where he was. So I actually do teach leadership now for people who are going through personal crisis and, and professional crisis. Like, How do we work through that? I started pastoring the church. We tripled the church. We quadrupled the income of the church. We met one of our largest goals was to get into a building because we were mobile for a long time. I raised up seven new pastors and leaders within two years after him dying. And I was like, what in the world, God, is going on? It was only by the grace of God. But I realized that my dreams weren't done. Since then, it's been almost 15 years. I've written six books. I've just things that I could not have ever dreamed about before having being with my husband completely different now. And I'm so, I'm not glad. I'm never glad that my husband passed because he is still my best friend still the love of my life, but I'm grateful to the Lord with how I've come out stronger, wiser, and better because of that situation. God didn't waste my grief. I think that's such an important point because one of the platitudes people will say is, well, everything happens for a reason, or this was all in God's plan. And I don't think that's always the case. I think we have free will We live in a broken world and I think it's okay to say sometimes bad things happen. I don't think your husband had to die for you to make a positive impact on the world, but I think it's such a beautiful and incredible thing to be able to say that you're going to take a tragedy and I'm going to take a tragedy and instead of 
burying ourselves under our covers, which we have every right to do. And I say, how do we make a positive impact? How do we take this and create something good out of it, even though it was something very bad? And I know I can think of so many widows right now that they're in that first six months, one year, 18 months, and they're thinking to themselves, it's what you're saying sounds so great and feels so impossible. And let's say you hadn't yet had that moment of being in the cemetery and thinking about your dreams. What would you say to somebody who's feeling like, oh, it's hopeless and I don't know if there's a future for me? Is there anything that you would share with them? I would say it's okay to be where you are. I think so many times people are trying to pull us so quickly out of our grief that we don't have the time to properly grieve so that we can move on. If you're in those early stages, six months to a year, feel what you feel. Don't try to feel what people are telling you to feel. And one thing that used to make me mad is that people would say, well, you ought to be over it by now. I'm never gonna get over it. I'm 15 years post having lost my husband. It'll be 15 years this October. So 14 and a half years, and I still ain't over it. I've, I've, I've got a new normal. I've learned how to live life in a different way, but I'm not over it. So it, that's kind of one of my pet peeves with people who grieve, like, don't tell us to get over it. So I say, have your feelings and lean into them. Cry, experience what you're experiencing. I didn't have the ability to lay in the bed and not get out for a long period of time. I had a child who was two and just turned three, two days after his dad passed. And I had a five-year-old. They needed to eat. They needed to go to school. And I needed them not to be falling apart. Because if I saw them falling apart, it was going to be too difficult. So what I did was I took care of them. So if you're in that stage and you have children or you have responsibilities, get up and do what you got to do. Block off some time for yourself. When they went to school, I would take an hour or two hours and I just cry and I just be sad. And I just look at pictures and I just pray and I just, and then I suck it up and I would get up and do whatever I had to do. Not everybody has the ability to just suck it up. Some people, you, it's too, it's. They're just different and they have too many things going on and the emotions are too deep. Feel the feels. That's the only way you're going to get out of it. And I, I say it like this. If, if you've ever been downhill skiing, which I have, and I am awful at it, but I've done it. One thing that I had a person who mentored me, he was a widower and he, he was a friend of my husband. So when I became a widow, he grabbed me and was like, anything you need. But what he told me was, he said, if you've ever been downhill skiing, you know that when you look down that hill, it's big and it's scary. He says, whatever you do, don't lean back. Because if you lean back from the big and scary, you're going to, it's going to be hard to get down the hill. He said, in order to get down, go downhill skiing, in order to get down the hill, you got to lean in. So he was like, lean into your pain. Feel it, journal about what you're going through. Journal your feelings, journal your emotions. Tell God you're mad, tell God you're angry. Say everything, God's big enough to handle all your emotions, but lean into that, don't run away from it. So if you're six months to a year in, I would say do that. And biggest thing, don't make any major decisions, in my opinion, if you can avoid them. Sometimes you don't have a choice, but if you can avoid, don't make any major, major decisions during that first year because you're so emotional. There's a lot that's happening. You don't need to deal with it, but it's okay. After that year, not to say that this is the time point, change it. 
then there's some things that we we talk about how to lean in in a more healthy way that you can do. But the first year is like, go through it. Now I'm not a grief coach like you, Emily. So you may have different, different way to get through it, but that's how I got through it. I leaned in, I let myself feel it. I let myself experience the hurt and, and I would package it and say, here's my space to deal with it. And here's my space to handle my kids. And I would move on. That is such a beautiful analogy, the downhill skiing. And I may have to credit you and steal it for future purposes, but you're so right. Like it's very common in coaching. They'll say the only way out is through and you cannot numb only certain emotions. Like you can't numb yourself from feeling pain and sadness and be able to feel joy and happiness. That's just not the way that our bodies work. So it is important for people to be able to really lean into the pain, hold on to those things. And I just read a book, the grief recovery handbook. And one of the things that said that I thought was really powerful is that when you're showing up and you're listening to people and say somebody's sharing and even it's, it's painful and it's awkward and they're crying and they feel bad and you feel bad is not to touch or hug them or do anything to break that moment because touch interrupts emotions, thoughts, and feelings. And I hadn't thought about that before because culturally we're so quick to comfort, to soothe, to tell people it'll be okay. We don't like for people to just sit in the sadness, but as I reflect, like that's all I wanted somebody to do for me is just let me be sad and not try to make me feel better. It's kind of weird because I have a new principle that's come out of my grief journey. Now, like I said, I had I had lost my mom and my dad before. That journey was different than losing someone so connected to you as your spouse, but journeys nonetheless. Since I've gone through this journey with losing my husband, as a pastor, people think I'm weird, but I don't contact you until at least a week and a half to two weeks after the person's death. I'll have other people in our church contact you, but let me explain why. Because what happens is, is during that first week and a half to two weeks, everybody bring you food. Well, at least in the black culture, we eat so much. I was like, but half the time you don't want to eat because you can't eat, but refrigerators are full of food. People come through the house left and right. People got issues with how you did this or that and just all kinds of drama. And then two weeks after you're left by yourself in that home with the empty space in your bed and nobody is thinking about you or checking on you. They all care about getting through the funeral. They don't care about you got to now live a whole new life. So I wait to call just to listen, just to say, how are you? What do you feel? It's okay to feel what you feel because people, and I don't think it's bad. I think people need to jump in and do those things in the first two weeks. It's not my place because I feel like what I do is so much deeper, like the calls two weeks after, three weeks after, four weeks, a month, two months after are to me more important because nobody called me like that. Nobody yeah. picked up the phone. I had family, how you and the boys doing? It was always how you and the boys. Well, wait, can we just talk about how am I doing? Like I am awful right now. And I know you care about my kids, but somebody needs to help me. And just dealing with my own personal experience and still having to, by the way, the night my husband died, our, our board, the Lord called me to pastor and our board said, I need, we need you to run the church until we can figure out what to do. And then two weeks later, they officially hired me as the senior pastor. 
And I was like, I don't want to be a senior pastor. I didn't wake up in the world to say one day I'm going to be a senior pastor. So I told him I'll give him a year and then y'all can do what you want to. It, it's It's been almost 15 years. I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but But the point of it was, you're not just dealing with your grief. You have children and they're, they're, they still have to go to school. They still have responsibilities, sports, all these different things. You still have to deal with finances, which the financial side of dealing with someone post-death, especially like in my case, because it was, wasn't like he had been sick or so it was, it wasn't just, he was fine that morning and died that afternoon. Luckily we had a lot of stuff in place, but still working through all of that social security and realizing like, you got to go file social security. And I'm like, I ain't never did nothing with social security or the government like this. I don't know how to do this. Just all of these details and you're planning a funeral, all these details, you're stuck in the moment and you have to do, but you're still feeling what you're feeling. And that's why you're in a, that's, I think that's why the haze hits because in order to get stuff done, I can't really deal with everything that's going on. It was six weeks after my husband passed before I really, really cried. I mean, I cried the first couple of weeks, but I mean like deep guttural, God, this is awful cry. And it was because I went away on a trip, took my boys, put them in daycare at the hotel for four hours, cried profusely for four hours, picked them up, went to the pool and act like everything was great. But I had to, I had to have that. And needing someone to sit with you, I, I didn't, my closest family members didn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. They cared, but they didn't know how. So that's why I think what you're doing is so important. Having a coach who could, when I went through this 15 years ago, we didn't, I didn't know nothing about a coach who could walk me through my grief. I had not. So I would say, use these resources. I've been reading your, your newsletters, Emily. They are so encouraging. Even if it's just, if you haven't subscribed to Emily's newsletter, subscribe because her articles are so encouraging and it takes me back to places that I was when I was a widow. And I'm so glad she's writing them because I couldn't find people to write stories about it. I couldn't find 15 years ago. There weren't people who were like, let me help you through being a widow. There weren't. I I didn't know how to be a pastor as a woman. I was a woman who was a pastor and a widow and a single mom. Now the single mom, there was a lot more people I knew, but the other three, I didn't know anybody. So, so, I mean, I was searching. So yeah, get the help, go to Emily, write her, call her, get involved in her program, do whatever you've got to do, but we need help to get through this. And if you're dealing with something from a professional standpoint, for me, I had my personal crisis of I'm a widow, but I also now have a corporate crisis from the church. I'm dealing with grief in the church and I'm dealing with leading an organization while I'm bleeding. And if you're dealing with that, then you reach out to me like, man, I'll help you deal with that, but she'll help you deal with the the crisis of being a widow. I'll help you deal with how do you lead well as you go through these crises. Thank you for that. And I did not pay Shana to say that, by the way, that was just (laughs) her, her kind feedback, but so many good things to unpack there. I have just found that for whatever reason, especially culturally here in the U.S., we don't know how to deal with grief. I heard somebody say it like we live our life with our backs towards death until it comes around and slaps us in the face. And we don't know what to say or how to help. And you find this big gap between people who want to help and don't know how and people who need the help and don't want to accept it or feel bad about asking for help. And it is those moments after that first one to two weeks where everyone goes radio silent. 
I was very fortunate. I had a couple of friends or acquaintances and it was not the people I was expecting who were very persistent and reaching out and asking and just doing, showing up, sending stuff, just letting me know, like inserting themselves into my lives because they knew like I was retreating. I was just trying to hold it all together. And I was working and dealing with four kids and trying to learn how to cook well for the first time because my husband did all those types of things. And it, it's really challenging. So being there for someone, especially after those first couple of weeks, is so important. Just taking care of them, letting them process their own thoughts and feelings, especially in a role where you're taking care of other people. How did you do this, taking on the role of a church and leading that? I mean, how many times must you have thought, when's somebody going to take care of me? Or when is my time to deal Ooh. with all these challenges? You know what, Emily? <laughs> I don't know if I ever thought, when is somebody going to take care of me? I just felt like this is my life. I will be honest with you. And I've kind of feel like a prompting to just share this. One of the things I said after my husband died was because the pain was so great. And most people don't realize it's not just that this person has died. I've lost my best friend. I've lost my confidant. I've lost every hope of what I thought life would be like. I'm grieving a lot of different things here. This is Brave Widow podcast. I'm a Christian. I've lost my sexual partner. So all of that's gone. That's not necessarily the first thing you think about, but eventually you think about it. And one of the things I said that I tell every widow, please don't say this. And I know it's hard not to say it because I said it so much is I said, I will never marry again. That's what I said. I was hurt so bad. And part of that was I didn't want to open up and let somebody else love me. But I didn't want to be hurt because every, here's the thing, everybody dies. So whoever I love again is going to die, which means I'm probably going to go through this again. I don't want to do that. So I don't, I don't ever want to do this again. So because of that, there were walls that I, that I kept up that wouldn't allow people to get close to me. I'm not just talking about love interests, but I'm talking about people, period, because I had been hurt by loving someone who left. And it's not like he left by choice, he died. So I was like, I can't even be mad. I didn't even know who to be mad at. I can't be mad at him. It ain't like he wanted to die. I can't I can't be mad at God. I mean, I kind of want to be mad at you, God, but it's kind of like, I mean, everybody got a time to go. Like, who am I mad at? Like, and I was frustrated because I didn't know who to be mad at. And in the meantime, I'm going, but I still got to take care of myself. Because one thing, my, my brother was so amazing. He just kept saying, he was like, you, you cannot keep filling everybody's cup from empty. You have to take care of yourself. And so I did not, because of the walls, look to other people to fulfill those places. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. So I would say, be careful. Don't put these emotional walls up because what happens with an emotional wall is you keep everybody out and that's fine. But you also lock yourself in by yourself. It's hard. So what I did, I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I learned, I started learning how to take care of myself. I was always very independent, but what I mean, take care of myself, I scheduled regular massages. Like once a month, I would get a massage or I made sure I did pedicure and manicure. I've always liked to have my hair nice. So I wouldn't get my hair done. Just all the things that I felt like took care of me, I had to do on my own because I didn't feel like I had the emotional capacity to let somebody that close to me. Mm. 
I would say about two and a half, three years after that, I started opening my heart up and really got close to girlfriends. My girlfriends were that space and and taking time. I didn't want to leave my kids alone. So I didn't go out very much, but about two or three years afterwards, I felt comfortable leaving them with a the babysitter and go out for a couple of hours with some girlfriends. But again, my kids were little, so it was a, a different story, but yeah, it, it, you really, if, even if you can't find somebody, you have to figure out how to love you. I had a trainer. I loved going to my trainer because it was just something about getting that. And every, it, it wasn't until after my husband died that with my trainers, I started boxing because I needed to punch something. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> my trainers, I remember this one guy, he was like super big. He was one of my trainers. He's like, you hit harder than any six foot two man I ever trained. And I was like, cause I got a lot more in me aggression and anger than any six foot two man you've ever trained. It's it's like that. It's just, you've got to find something, even if you can't, if you, if you have a friend, lean into that friend, spend time, make the time. But if you don't take care of you, make sure you take care of you. Those are all great points. I mean, I think about physically the intimacy that you're missing and your body goes through its own set of grieving. And yes, you can hug your kids and you can be affectionate, but it's so vastly different. So taking care of yourself and trying to help your body feel good, whether that's through exercise or massages or whatever that looks like is really important. And I, from an exercise perspective, I really neglected that for a long time. I had every excuse in the book and have recently gotten back into the habit of working out. And I was actually talking to my coach earlier today again, and I was like, I just felt this big release. Like I'd been, my body had just been tensed up and I was holding on to something for so long. And it's like, all of a sudden now I can breathe and I've never experienced anything like that before. So that's, that's definitely a huge tip for people. So I know people are going to want to know how long was it before you felt like you may want to get remarried again, or you would be interested in dating again. And what did that look like for you? God had to slap me upside my head and tell me, girl, it's time. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was so like, I'm never getting married again. I did a little bit of online dating because I was bored and I was like, I would enjoy the companion of a guy, but I was like, I ain't trying to marry nobody. And then, then I did get engaged to someone. I met him and six weeks later, he asked me to marry him. And I felt like, and I'm just being honest. I felt like, well, I should jump on this because who would want to marry somebody like me? I'm a widow and I have two kids and I'm a pastor. I'm not really your kind of gal people want to marry. And I had experiences where guys were really interested until they found out I was a pastor. And I was like, oh, but I will say this guys weren't as turned off by having children. So if you have children and you're a widow, don't worry. Guys are cool with that. It's not a big deal. But it was 11 to 12 years later. So 11 years later, 11 years later, I'm on a plane to a pastor's meeting in LA. I live in Northern California. So it's a short ride, but I'm talking and praying and like spending this great time with the Lord on the plane. And I sense the Lord saying to me, Shana, it's not good for man to live alone. I was like, I know that. And he's like, I'm kind of talking about you. And I was like, what? Now this is 11 years of being a widow, 11 years of being celibate, by the way. And so by this point, I've gotten, I've gotten my plans down. I don't watch certain things. I don't listen to certain things because I'm trying to stay, as I told people, I need to stay holy. But 
I got, I left that and I was like, God, but I love ministry and I don't want to deal with the partner and all this. And God was like, you can do more. One can chase a thousand, two can chase 10,000. I was like, okay, interesting. We can do more together, but I ain't trying to hear that. I'm like, whatever, God, put that in a book, put it away, go to the prayer meeting. They're praying. And this lady comes up in the middle of worship. And she says, I feel like I have a word from the Lord. And I'm like, okay, good for you, girl. Preach that, bring it on. And she was like, some of you have said words out of your mouth that you have canceled what God has promised you. He wants to do. And I was like, okay. And she said, there was a journal somewhere that you have written that wrote down what God promised you. And God says, go pull that journal out. And I knew immediately God was speaking to me because a year after my husband died, I wrote in my journal, five things that God was going to give me. Four of the five had come to pass. The fifth was a husband. He told me he described him. He said he was going to be a certain height. He told me what his heart was going to look like, told him how he was going to love him, told him I was going to treat my kids, how he was going to treat me, all these amazing things. And I just wrote it in a journal and I was like, I don't care. Now that was a promise from God. And what I learned is that God, that I had to renounce my own words that I would never marry again and say, God, forgive me for speaking those words. I cancel those words over my life. A month later, the Lord sent me, put me on websites. A month later, the Lord told me to go to this specific website. I went to a specific website at Emily. He was fine. I was like, here we go. <laughs> now, so I met what would later become my husband. We met, dated for a year, were engaged for seven months, and we will be celebrating our two-year anniversary coming up. But oh. I could not believe that God would send me someone who, while very different than my first husband, I have two, I I got over the idea that you only have one soulmate. Cause I was like, I got to have a second one. Cause you want me to marry God. And, and I found someone who is very different than my first husband, which is what I wanted. And yet so loving, so amazing. And another best friend, like, it's just amazing to me. And oh. he was a needle in a haystack girl. Don't know, finding him online was hard, but I had to go to a specific site. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's where God had him, but it was funny. Yeah. That's, that's how that, that journey went. So it was, a, it was a process. It took time. It's not something that I say, get out and go do tomorrow. I have friends who are widows and within a year, they're ready to go back out there, but their stories are different. They had long-term illnesses and mine was just, it was just different, different people, yeah. different strokes, different folks. You do you but make sure you just ask God to help you. I think for me, I was definitely curious, like what's out there? How bad is this going to be? We really devalue, I think our own worth, right? Like, oh, we have all of this baggage. But if you think about it, there are so many people, especially in our thirties and forties that they've been through divorce. They have kids. You're not the only, first of all, you're not the only widow out there. But then secondly, I mean, everyone has a story by the time they've reached their 20s, 30s, 40s, that you're not of less worth. And in fact, you have to be careful because a lot of times widows can be targeted online and there's all kinds of scammers. And that's going to be a whole nother episode. We may have to get the special website in that episode, Shayna, so we can include mm -hmm. it. I don't give out the website. I don't give out the website because it was one that was unique that God had for me. Okay. It, and I tell people, everybody asks me, what website did you find your I have friends who found folks on websites that I thought the people were just trash on. So it is not really about the website. It's about you getting with God and trusting God through your journey of this new space of singleness and what that looks like for you. It, and that, it was that God said it is her time. 
and this is where this guy I have for her is. It it really is not caught up in the web. The website is great, and I've I've seen they're they're making matches. Like all of them are making matches. There, everybody's making a match. It doesn't website don't matter. But I'll tell you, them Christian ones, they they those people look like they lived in their basement. I was like, they mama's basement. I was like, I'm good on that one. But well, that's just a joke. That was just a I, little joke. I've learned but, that Christian is a very broad term. Very 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 broad. Yeah, and, and there's a whole to, smorgasbord in there. Yeah, if you do decide to date as a widow, you do have to you have to move out the emotion out of dating. And and I know that seems really weird. And you have to put in kind of like I work in business. So I and I'm an engineer. So I approach dating as an engineer and a business person, which was simply let me watch you to see what qualities and characteristics you have as I get to know you. I'm not going to allow my heart to just go super all in until I know you got certain qualities. So I prayed. I told the Lord, I was like, I know he just coming from church because I met him on a Sunday after church and he was looking all snazzy with his church clothes and stuff. And I was like, that's a good sign, but that don't mean he really know you, Jesus. So then it was, I journaled and I asked God questions and I asked the Lord to show me. So it was very methodical and it was very, I had, a, I had questions, but I didn't ask him all those questions. I asked the Lord so that, because sometimes you ask people questions when you date and they give you the answers that they want you to have, but that's not really who they are. I just watched, took a business-minded approach. Let me watch, let me make sure the things that I believe God has for me are there. Mm-hmm. And it took about seven or eight months for me to see and get all my questions answered. And then by then I was like, I'm good. Now I'm ready. Now I'm emotionally, I like him. I'm attached, but I'm not so attached that if we bounce, I'm not okay. It was like that. So, yeah. So I think, I think it's different than when you're in your twenties and you're just like, I love him. Now we got too much at stake. We've got kids' lives involved. I've got to protect my financial interest. I've got to protect my church. It's a little different. So yeah. Dating as a widow is a whole nother vibe. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is, especially from what, what I've heard. So, all right, Shana. First, I want to say congratulations. You have accomplished just so much in your life from your marriage to your church to your business to everything that you're doing. It is so inspiring. And I know that other people will really be inspired and motivated by your story. Do you have any final words of wisdom that you would share with us? And then if you'll just let people know, like, how do they find you? How do they work with you? What are the things that you do? Yeah, I'm going to close with what I have developed. It's my rare, it's a, it's a proprietary method for how you get through crisis and lead your organization to success. And the reason I want to close with this, because I think it's important for widows to know this, whether you're leading an organization or not, you're still leading a family. And that is my rare method. And it's not spelt R-A-R-E. It's spelt R-A-I-R, rare. And it stands for resilient, authentic, innovative and relational. What I want to share with you is that there is some skills that you have had to deal with to be resilient as a a widow. And oftentimes we forget about all the things we've overcome in the rest of our life. When you think about what you've been through, it'll remind you, you can get through. You're resilient, authentic, be you. Don't try to be anybody else. Don't try to try to figure out or do life like everybody. Don't try to grieve like this person or or be the single parent like this person. You be you and you trust God that in your authenticity, God's going to show you how to move through this situation. Be innovative. Look, y'all, the stuff we used to know, it don't work no more because we, we, you know, 
I had to be innovative to learn how to take my kids. I have two kids who played sports and how to get them in their space. They both played the same sports at the same time on the same day. You have to be innovative. How do I get help? Where do I go? What do I do? Be innovative. And then relational. You can't do this alone. Find people who you can support. Find people who can support you. Find people who can invest in you. Find people who you can trust to take care of your kids and help you learn how to deal with finances. You can't do it by yourself. If you get through that and you understand that's that's the way I train people to get through difficult crisis situations and lead their organizations well, you can do this. So you can find me if you're looking for me. It's real easy. Hit me up on Facebook. Just look up Shana James on Facebook. You can hit me up on Instagram. I think my Instagram handle is Pastor Shana. And you can hit me on my website, which is shanajamesconsulting.com. I also have an amazing, again, that's shanajamesconsulting.com. But I also have an amazing group of Christian women. I have a group of about 450, almost 500 women that we're just walking through. What does it mean to lead well? So you can find that in our Facebook group. Just look up Christian Women Leaders in Facebook group. You'll see my picture. I'm there. Awesome. Well, y'all, Shana's a pastor when she says she's going to close and she does so, so eloquently. So we'll have all the links to where you can find Shana in the show notes. So you'll have those available to you. And she's an awesome woman. This is the second time I've had the opportunity even briefly to speak with her and it's always a great experience. So Shana, thank you for sharing from your heart and your words of wisdom. I really appreciated having you on the show today. Thank you so much, Emily. I am so grateful for this opportunity, but more than that, grateful for what you're offering to widows during this season of their life. I know it's desperately needed and I pray that people will take advantage of your coaching services. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow Podcast. I would love to help you take your next step whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.